Corinthians chapter 11. We are continuing our series on relationships after a break last weekend. Wonderful services last weekend with brother and sister Sham. I trust you're really blessed and challenged and encouraged by that. And I'm hearing a lot of people enjoying sister Sham's book. It's always encouraging to read stories about the mission field. Amen. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing in his church. Amen. If you have missed any of the lessons in this series or pretty well any other series and you'd like to either hear them or review them again, they are available on our podcast. And um, if you don't know how to set up a podcast, some technical savvy person can help you with that. One of the things that's interesting is when I upload the messages to the website that we use for our podcast, I was going to say every week, I try for every week. If I get a bit late, Sister Allison lets me know. Um, is that you can see how many times each lesson or message has been listened to. Um, you can also click on a button and it will show you a map of where our podcast is listened to around the planet. And uh, it seems without fail, I haven't checked every single message, but I'm fairly confident that there is somebody in Madrid and somebody in London who listens to every single message that we upload to our podcast. So we want to give a little shout-out to whoever you are in Madrid and London. Maybe send us an email and get in touch with us. Amen. There's usually a lot of little markers around Perth and a few scattered across the East Coast. Used to be one in Townsville a lot, but then Mum moved here, so that marker's disappeared. But, uh, but there are people that listen to our podcast in a lot of different places, and we trust that the Word of God ministers to them. Amen. In our last lesson, we talked about marriage. We started talking about marriage. And we talked about how the roles of men and women in society have not or are not always consistent with the Word of God. Cultures and societies throughout history have had patterns and mindsets about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and which includes such things as, you know, this is what men do and this is what women do tasks, careers, education, family roles, etc. with varying degrees of accuracy in the sight of the Word of God. It is simply biology that men and women are created to be different from each other. Uh, God has designed us to be different physically, emotionally, and psychologically. And uh, most of us understand that this morning. Where we really need to understand that there is absolutely no difference is in our value. Men and women are of equal value in the sight of the Lord. And uh, I read a, a quote this week that's attributed to Ruth Bell Graham, or I think it was Billy Graham's wife. She said, A happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. And I, I thought that was maybe worth tucking away in our minds. We considered in our last lesson the responsibilities, or at least some of the responsibilities, of a Christian husband, of how they are to lead the family spiritually, not from a throne like a king, but to serve their families. And that when a man is filling the God-intended role for him as a husband, the power of God and the blessings of God will flow through that. And that means, we talked about the fact that that means there are things that God expects me to be and to do as a husband and a father, and that's all of us, brethren, that cannot be separated from my individual walk with God. We talked about uh, how men should be altar builders, they should be visible in the kingdom, not to be seen, but they should lead their families in church attendance, they should lead their families in prayer and in worship and all other aspects of a walk with God. 
Somebody once described a man, particularly when we're talking about a husband and a father, as being the priest of their homes. And I don't think that's a bad perspective to view it from. And today, with a little less comfort, I'm going to be teaching about the Christian wife. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 1, says, Be ye followers of me, Paul writing, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, Keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. This passage is sometimes referred to as God's divine order or structure. It's important before we go any further that to understand that when this order is working as it's designed to, and that's the key, that every member or part of this order benefits from its head and the blessings flow through that structure that God has designed. It's also important that we recognize that this passage is better understood as speaking about husband and wife rather than simply male and female. The New Testament, the Greek word that is translated as husband or wife or male, man or woman is, is the same Greek word. We need to understand a woman does not have her relationship with God through a man. Well, she does, but his name was Jesus. It's not through a man in the church. A woman has a direct relationship with God. So when we read this passage, it's with marriage in view. It's also interesting to note, if you were here for our series late last year on partakers of his holiness, we, we taught from 1 Corinthians 11, and part of it addresses the idea that men are to have short hair and women to have uncut hair. And some people have tried to say that that was a cultural problem in Corinth. But the context here lets us know that it's creative order. It's not cultural. It's the order of creation as God designed it to be. Amen. So, from that passage, the head of Christ is God. It's not saying there are two parts of God, but rather that the humanity was in perfect submission to the divinity. And that the head of man is Christ, or man submitting himself to the Lord. And the head of the woman is the man, the wife submitting herself to her husband. And in the humanity, in the man Christ Jesus, we observe perfect submission which is what made it possible for you and I to be redeemed had he not done exactly what the will of the father was things wouldn't have turned out the way that they did and in the submission between the man and the Lord man is able to take advantage or benefit from that redemption and the many blessings that come from being in a right relationship with God there's something incredible about being in a right relationship with God That doesn't mean that you are a perfect person, that you are without shortcomings or flaws. But when you are living as best you know how in a relationship with God, there is something that is peaceful. There is something that is comforting. There is something that is right about being in that relationship with Jesus. Amen. And in the submission of a wife to her husband being one flesh, they are able also to have the blessing protection provision and covering that god has prepared for them in the post women's liberation era in which we live wives submitting themselves to their husband is not a popular concept a lot of that's due to misunderstanding of how the scripture would have us to see it it's considered unnecessary and out of date it's probably worth keeping in mind that the cultures that were in the churches and the the cultures surrounding the churches that paul was writing to were also ungodly and that a godly balance within the home that Paul wrote about wouldn't have been popular then either. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. This is kind of our 
go-to text when we talk about the relationship between husbands and wives. We'll read the passage and then we'll take some pieces out of it. Ephesians 5 and 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it, that he might separate it unto himself, and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Amen. This passage of Scripture draws a comparison between the relationship of Jesus to the church and the husband to his wife. But in our last lesson, we mentioned that there are other parallels that the Scripture uses as well. It's not only Christ and the church. It uses the head and the body and the husband and the wife and draws parallels between those. And we're going to pick out a few bits and pieces out of that this morning. So verse 23, Ephesians 5 and 23. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. The fourth chapter of Ephesians also compares Christ and the church to the head and the body. Amen. Verse 22 of Ephesians 5 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. It is deliberately written, your own husbands. Paul didn't write that by accident. He was writing to a society where in many places, perhaps not all, but in many, the value of women was much less than that of a man. And his teaching was that there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, was actually quite revolutionary in the society that he was writing to. The Greek word that is translated as unto your own speaks of personal or private. So it's speaking about your own husband. Amen. It is not a submission to anyone who is a male or a husband, but unto your own husband. Let's consider our types. Christ and the church. Jesus only has one church, one bride. So the church is Jesus' own husband. Sorry, Jesus is the church's own husband. I had that backwards. He is the church's own husband. The head and the body is a pretty clear parallel. One head, one body. You get more than one head, you've got problems. You're going to be in a movie. And the statement, as unto the Lord, might be understood by some to mean that a wife should relate to her husband as she does to the Lord or to treat her husband like the Lord. Some men think of themselves that way, but that's not what it's saying. Some people may point to the passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 where it mentions that Sarah called Abraham Lord to try to support this view. However, when Sarah called Abraham Lord, it was acknowledging his leadership as her husband, not ascribing deity to him. 
So men, if you think your wives are going to worship you, you are going to be sadly disappointed. Amen. And neither should they. Amen. I think the proper understanding of this verse when it says unto the Lord is that a wife submits herself to her own husband as a part of her relationship with God. If we desire to walk with God, it must be within the authority that he has placed in our lives. We taught in our last lesson that how a husband treats his wife can hinder or cut off our prayers. So men have to take great care. They cannot separate their relationship with their wife from their relationship with God. Because if we're not handling one well, the Lord, as I, I think the expression I used was, the Lord's not picking up the phone. When we pray, if we're mistreating our wives and not treating them the way the Lord would have us to, our prayers are going to be hindered. They're going to be cut off. I don't want my prayers cut off. I want to pray and know that God hinders, he, hears me. Not hinders me, hears me. It's going to be one of those days. And ladies, this is the flip side that applies to you. You submit yourselves to your husband as unto the Lord, as a part of your relationship with God. And so the manner in which you relate to your husbands and the attitudes that you display towards him directly impact your walk with God. A wife's submission to her husband is inseparable from her walk with God. A wife should submit herself to her own husband because God requires it, not based upon his performance, whether he's a good husband or a bad husband. In fact, in First Peter, I think it's chapter 3, somewhere in Peter, it tells us that if a husband is not obedient to the word of God, that a wife's conduct and her attitude towards him can win him to Christ. Amen. That's a very powerful thing to think about. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So verse 24 gives us one of our examples to consider, and that is Christ and the church as a parallel with the husband and the wife. And so when we consider the example of Christ and the church, we have on one hand Jesus who is holy, perfect, and flawless. And he has redeemed the church, which is made up of imperfect and flawed humanity. In the relationship the church has, we are the recipient of the goodness of God we benefit from His love for us and we love Him in return. First John 4 and 19 says, We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. The most obvious glaring difference between the relationship between Jesus and the church and the husband and the wife is that both the husband and the wife are flawed. And every married person said, Amen. If your spouse doesn't want to, say it on their behalf. That's okay. All of us are flawed. None of us, no matter how good we are, have the perfection of Jesus Christ. So that means there's got to be a little bit of allowance one for another. And yet, even in our flaws, the instruction in this passage is that wives are to be subject unto their own husbands as Christ is, sorry, as the church is to Christ. I'm going to keep getting that backwards. Amen. So even though we recognize that compared to Jesus, every husband is terribly flawed. Even the best husbands compared to Jesus don't even line up. Amen. Wives are still instructed to be subject unto or submitted to their husbands in everything. Is it just me or does it seem a lot quieter than when I was teaching about the men? Very quiet in here. I'm getting a little nervous. Somebody say amen every once in a while just to make me feel relaxed. Amen. 
Young ladies, when you are considering potential husbands, there are probably many questions that you may ask yourself. Will he take care of me? Has he got a good job? Is he at least reasonable looking? You know, you want to be able to face him in the morning. Amen. But perhaps the best question or the first question we need to ask is, am I willing to choose to submit myself to his spiritual authority and to be led by this man? Will I trust him to be my spiritual head? Because if that's an issue, you're going to struggle for the rest of your life. Amen. So let's consider our other example, the one of the head and the body. In the natural, it's very hard to consider the head and the body as separate because they're connected. And that gives us a little insight into how the Lord sees the marriage relationship as one flesh. But for the sake of this point, we'll consider them as separate as we can. Our head, or where our brain resides, directs everything that the body does. Every movement that you make, every time you speak in a healthy body is directed by the mind. Before anybody jumps to the wrong conclusion, that does not mean the husband gets to tell the wife every single thing that she does. That's nonsense. Amen. But in a healthy body, in a fraction of a second, impulses cross our minds, cross our brains, and responses are generated. Happens faster than we can comprehend. Some of those actions are voluntary. If I wave my hand, it didn't just pop up without me saying hand wave. But there are others that are involuntary, like breathing and blinking. You can choose to breathe and you can choose to blink, but most of the time you're not consciously thinking, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. Otherwise, for some of us, that's what we'd have to spend all day doing, just thinking about breathing. But fortunately, that's involuntary. We don't have to to do that. Amen. But the thing is, when, when a body or a part of the body does not respond to the instruction of the mind, there is a dysfunction. There's an issue with the relationship. And if somebody suffers a a serious spinal injury, the body will often cease to respond in the fashion that it used to. And at the time of the injury, often the mind is still working properly and the limbs are still strong and well-muscled. But many of us have no doubt seen the tragic degeneration of muscle tissue that occurs in somebody when there's a disconnect between the mind and the body. Amen. My point is that the mind is still good, but the body wastes away and loses its power. And there's a principle there. Ladies, your submission to your husbands can never be based upon your assessment of their performance. It must be based upon your consecration unto God. And if you refuse to choose to submit yourself, because it's a choice, you cut yourself off, if you can put it that way, from the power in a spiritual sense that comes from your head that he receives from his head. It flows down like that. When you think about it, who benefits from the direction given by the head? It's the body. In your own body, your head is hopefully making choices that are for the good of the body. You decide to feed the body. You decide to rest the body. You decide to wash the body. You decide to exercise the body, to protect the body. If it's hot, you try to cool the body down. If it's cold, you try to keep the body warm. Amen. And your head operates, hopefully, for the well-being of your body and in response to the signals the body is sending it. When you put your hand on a hot stove or in a hot pan in a split second, your fingers are sending a message to your brain that you're being burned. Your brain instantly responds and says, pull away. There is something that happens there that is mutual for the benefit of the body. Sometimes... Our heads have to make decisions our bodies don't like. 
You know, when you make that decision to go on a diet, you look in the mirror and your head says, got to cut back on the burgers. And your body says, but I like the burgers. And so sometimes we see who wins, the head or the body. You know, and the head says, we need to go for an ex- to exercise. And the body says, but that hurts. There's, a, you know, we've got to work out who's in charge. I know that your body doesn't actually talk to your head, but you understand what I'm saying. Much like our example of Christ in the church, when the church chooses to submit itself fully to the Lord, it enables the Lord to pour himself into the church, to reveal himself and his will, and for the church to have the full benefit of that relationship. So although the choosing to submit is our responsibility, everybody say, that's my responsibility. We are the ones that actually profit from that decision. It's a very, very powerful principle that when we submit ourselves to any authority that God has established, we benefit from that. We benefit from that. It's God sets it up so that we are the ones that are blessed. Amen. But there's something in us that doesn't like that. Amen. But it's the way of the Lord. Ladies, when you choose to submit yourself to the authority that God has given your husband, you enable and empower him to be the leader that God wants him to be. In that way, you are at some point actually responsible for him becoming the man that God intends him to be. Amen. A man who is honored in his own home by his wife and family is much more likely to step up and be the man of God that he should be. But when a wife resists or even rebels against the authority of her husband, it emasculates him or it removes that which makes him a man and makes him feel of no value. Respect is very important to a man. That's why the Lord emphasizes that in the scripture when he talks about the relationship between a husband and a wife. He tells husbands to love their wives but he tells wives to reverence their husbands because that respect is very important to a man's identity and how he sees himself and how God wants us to see ourselves amen a man cannot take that authority by force and God forbid that he should even try but ladies you alone can choose to give it to him and so even though you are in the place where you might say well I'm in the place of submission. You have an influence on the release of God's power in your home. Amen. So what does it mean to allow your husband to lead you? See, one of the reasons that the world doesn't like the idea of wives being in submission to husbands is because it's so often been mishandled, mistreated, and mistaught to a point where the man gets to be the king of the castle and everybody else in his house is a second-rate citizen that has to do whatever is his bidding that is not the plan that god has designed amen it means that your husband leads not dictates but leads when making the major decisions in your home not what you're going to eat that night or what brand of soap you're going to have because most of the men would have a clue about what brand of soap we should have but the decisions that affect things like the spirituality of your family we're going to church we're going to pray We're going to do certain things and not do other things. Devotion, major financial decisions, buying houses, buying cars, giving, things that identify or establish your identity as a family. We talked about this in the lesson to the men, that a man is responsible for the spiritual temperature of your home. What kind of family are we going to be in the sight of God? Amen. They're things that that wives need to allow their husbands to lead them in. 
But please let me balance that by saying that a husband with any sense at all will always consider his wife's views, remembering the example of the head and the body working together, and a wise wife will learn the best ways to share those views. Amen. The burden of responsibility rests on a husband's shoulders. And that's all very easy when he makes decisions that are in agreement with your point of view. When your husband makes a choice that you think is awesome, everybody's happy. There's no problem. But what happens when he makes a decision that you don't like? Now it's quiet. This is where submission comes into play. Submission in any relationship that God establishes in humanity. We could list them. We could talk about children and parents, husbands and wives, government and citizens, uh, employers and employees, spiritual authority, pastors in the church. Anywhere that submission is required by God, it is a choice. Submission is not agreement. Submission is you choose to submit whether you agree. Agreement is very different from submission. It's easy to say you're in submission when you agree. You're not actually in submission. You're in agreement. Submission is when you've done the right things and tried to handle it and share your view and it's gone a different direction. You go, okay, I'm going to recognize that God's put that authority in my life, whether it's my parents, my boss, whoever it is, and I'm going to allow them to lead. Amen. Ladies, if you are really troubled by your husband's decisions or a a particular direction he's leading your home and your family, if you've done the right thing to share that concern, the best thing you can do is pray. Because prayer is the most powerful thing. Because God is much better at changing a stubborn man's mind than you are. Amen. Pray and let God handle it. If you shared your view... You've said, I really don't think this is the right way to go, but that's okay. I'll let you, you know, you make the decision. We'll get on to how we handle that a little bit further on. Amen. Some men, and this is important to understand, some men have stronger personalities than others and are more likely to naturally assume a leadership role in the family. Other men who are perhaps more quiet and gentle by nature may not naturally assume a leadership role. And we are all different personalities with different strengths and weaknesses, And if a man is less likely in his natural sense to assume a leadership role in his family, it can be easy for a woman to fill that gap and take the reins. Now, there are two aspects to this problem, and yes, it is a problem. One is that the man is not stepping into his role, but the other is that the woman is stepping out of hers and into his. That's not God's design. Amen. Ladies, if you are of a strong personality and you have married a man that is gentle and quietly spoken, you will need to work hard at not taking on a role that is not yours. With your respect and consideration and patience, your husband will hopefully step into his God-designed role in the family. I heard somebody say once that to some men, he said, your problem is not that your wives won't follow you, it's that you're not going anywhere. And uh, so men, we have to step into that role that God has designed us for. Your husband's style of leadership may be gentle and subtle you need to recognize that and choose to submit yourself to him remember you do these things as unto god that's the key as unto god not based on your husband's performance it doesn't change if you give him a five out of ten tomorrow that means you don't have to listen but on an eight out of ten day you're going to pay more attention that's not what it's talking about it's as unto god amen that's the key in both ways 
that means you submit yourself to your husband, you do so willingly. That does not mean, now I know this never happens, but it does not mean that you go along with his decision and then make his life miserable for the next week. We laugh because we've probably all seen it. We may have participated in it at one level or another. It is particularly unattractive and I believe unfeminine to see a wife dominate and be overbearing to her husband. It's also ungodly. Amen. As much as a man must strive to be like his example of Christ toward the church, so a woman must endeavor to follow the pattern of the church unto Christ. You see, when we, in any of our relationships, and I'm being repetitive, I'm sorry, but when we focus on what is my responsibility in this relationship, you're going to get a better outcome. See, in the flesh, what we want is we want to care about ourselves and to change someone else. But in the kingdom of God, we should be caring about somebody else and changing ourselves. They're the opposite. And if we focus, if, if as a husband, I focus on being, trying to be the husband God wants me to be, I'm going to have a better relationship with my wife than if I was saying, well, you know, Lord, this would be easier if she would change these 17 things. It's not going to work because God is saying, I'm trying to get your attention. I'm not trying to get your attention so you can change your spouse. But I'm trying to get your attention. Amen. And so men, we have to strive at our model of Christ's love for the church. Ladies, the reverse. You have to endeavor to follow the pattern of the church under Christ. Amen. Amen. Some do's and do nots. And we'll bring this to a close. We'll start with the do nots. Do not submit to your husband in a way that he is left with absolutely no doubt that you are unimpressed. Moody, not speaking, or being vocal in front of others or the children. Never withhold intimacy as some sort of a punishment for the decisions that you think haven't been well made. Never threaten to leave your husband. There are times and situations where I believe it is justified for a wife to leave her husband, things such as infidelity and violence and when somebody's safety is under threat. But when it's used as a tool to get your way, you actually attack the foundation of your relationship and you destroy his confidence and security. To threaten to leave just because you didn't get your way or you don't like a decision is a terrible thing to do. And I've seen it done. It, is, it destroys the relationship. And this is a guarantee. He will make mistakes. He is not Jesus. But when he makes a mistake, that's when he needs your submission more than ever. Not your I told you so. Because if he's made a bad choice, you can be pretty sure he already knows and he's already feeling pretty lousy about the choice that he just made. Doesn't need you to underline that and stamp confirmed on it when he's made a bad choice. He's probably got that covered. Do not allow your children to work you against each other. Kids are brilliant. Kids are brilliant. Kids know which parent to approach for which subject. My cousin Cameron, who was here in October last year, he and his younger brother, there was just the two of them, when the three of us would be playing together, if there was a particular thing we wanted, we knew which kid to send to which parent, even as children. We knew that if we sent Cameron to his mum, we'd get what we wanted, but if we sent Brendan to his dad, we had it planned, and we were only in primary school. But we knew there's a system. There's a system. Amen. But... If you are aware that your husband has said no to your children about something, that's the end of the issue. 
and vice versa, gentlemen. If you know your wife said no, it's no. Amen. With our kids, when we come, the first thing I'll ask is, have you asked mum? Because I don't want to be caught in the middle. And if they say yes, I'll say, what did mum say? There's your answer. Amen. If you challenge each other's authority in front of your children, or worse, grant them permission to do something or have something that the other member has denied, you're tearing down their role in front of your children's eyes. Amen. The do list. Do pray for your husband. Ladies, your husband needs your prayers. He needs your prayers. Do, as the old song says, stand by your man. Be faithful. Be loyal. Amen. Do teach your children to honor their father, not just verbally, but by your actions. And do allow him to be your head. No man can lead a home without permission. You cannot lead anybody without permission except in the military. But in our relationships in the kingdom of God, any position of leadership is only by permission. I've said before, as a pastor, I give somebody advice or counsel and they don't listen. I can't call the police. Can't have, you know, come and drag Sister Rose away. She's not listening to me this week. It's by permission. It's the same in your marriage relationship. You allow your husband to lead. And finishing with Ephesians 5 and 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Reverence is a deep respect and admiration for someone. Again, the concept here is not just about your husband, but it's about the God who placed him there. Amen. A couple of years ago, just in closing, I was at minister's retreat. I think we were in Sydney. don't remember exactly, but Brother Rodney Shaw was our guest speaker. Wonderful teacher of the Word of God. Pastors of church in Austin in Texas with the church that Brother Bernard started. And wonderful teacher. And his wife came with him. And during one of the many sessions that he taught, I happened to look across and his wife was sitting over on the front row looking at him while he taught. And she was looking at him like she'd never heard anybody teach the Bible before. The look on her face, I was like, was one of sheer adoration. It was almost like, wow. It's like she hears him teach and preach multiple times a week in their own church. And yet she looked at him like he was the finest preacher that ever opened the Word of God. Like he dipped his tongue in a rainbow and just wrote beautiful lyrics as he taught. And I just thought, wow. What he must think when he looks down and sees his wife looking at him like that. Amen. And it's, it's not necessary. I mean, he was a fantastic teacher, but it was more about her attitude towards him. That when he saw that, if he was maybe making a few mistakes as we do and getting things mixed up, that would have encouraged him to be what God wanted him to be. Amen. My wife does that with my teaching. I think she's a little biased, but I'm kind of glad. She doesn't look at me quite like that in church. That'd be a little bit weird. But, you know, there's nothing that enables a man to be the man of God. God wants him to be more than a wife who treats him. Like if, you, if your husband is not yet what you think he should be as a man of God, treat him like the man of God you want him to be and see what God will do. Let's stand this morning.